What's up, everyone? Welcome to my corner of the internet. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments, the leading global payments provider helping sellers keep more of their hard-earned money. Each episode on here will feature leaders in the digital space to help entrepreneurs grow their knowledge and understanding of the Amazon and e-commerce world. Let's get started. Happy Monday, everyone. Ryan Kramer with Crossover Commerce here. Thanks for joining us live again on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Super excited to kick off my week. We have four episodes lined up all throughout the week. And then on Thursday, I'm actually hosting a webinar. So tune into Ping Pong Payments for that. But on Crossover Commerce, we have four just knockout guests that we're going to be bringing you super high-end content to help you as an Amazon seller grow your business and walk away with tips and tricks to grow to the next level. Um, again, if you're new to the show, welcome. Thanks for joining us live on the social channels. We also post these on our uh, on our podcast on both Apple Music, Apple po- uh, Amazon Music, as well as Spotify and wherever else you listen to your podcasts um, for your consumption to download those. Search Crossover Commerce, or if you have a question, go ahead and tag me in it, and I'll make sure you get to the right link. But today on episode 44, I wanted to kick off this week um, something where we kicked off the show back in, I want to say August, where we were talking about patents, trademarks, and copyrights, I brought in another perspective with Rich Goldstein. He's actually a business coach, and also he is a entrepreneur that helps safely grow um, Amazon sellers' businesses by protecting their IP with patents and trademarks. So he's specific in that um, realm. So we're going to get his perspective on how to grow your business. If you have any sort of specific questions or just questions in general, about the industry, about Amazon. Uh, and we were actually just talking about Clubhouse before we hopped into here. So how he's grown his business over the past 26 years um, and then taped more than 2,000 patents for his clients. So that's why I want to bring him on today. And joining us on Crossover Commerce today is Rich Goldstein of, I want to say Goldstein Patent Law. Is that the technical term, Rich? Yep, you got it. Look at that. Right. See, I knocked it out of the park. <laughs> no notes or anything. <laughs> No, but you hey, did, thank, you did great. That was perfect. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, we were we we're kind of talking a bunch of different topics before we hopped on, but I appreciate your time away from what you're doing in real life. I say real life. This is not real life when I talk to people, but I get to learn more about the industry from professionals like yourself. So thank you. Yeah, my pleasure, Ryan. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. So we, um, for those people who may not have heard or know about your background or what you specialize in, maybe kind of walk us through like how you got into not just the e-commerce space, but how you got into the patent space, what you do for individuals who are looking to sell online or already selling online and kind of walk us through who is Rich Goldstein. Cool. Well, that's a very existential question. <laughs> who are any of us that. really? <laughs> um, so um, I went to um, State University of New York at Stony Brook studying electrical engineering. Uh, at the same time, I started a business. I was um, selling salon supplies. I was going into beauty salons and selling all the stuff that they used, all the pr- professional equipment and uh, chemical supplies, things like that. So um, as I got further into engineering, I realized the reality of being an engineer would be working on the same project day in, day out for maybe five years at a time, not even designing um, a machine or whatever, but some little piece of it. So it's like, you're not designing this aircraft, you're designing this valve that attaches to the um, air vent above the seat and spend the next five years working on that. 
And um, I knew, you know, with my ADD brain that it just would not be satisfying for me. Uh, and so I learned about patent law, which is a field where you need to be a lawyer and have a technical background such as engineering. And um, so I, I went on to law school and I, um, um, and I, you know, got a law degree. But while I was in law school and I worked at another, I worked at a law firm during the summer, I realized again that that kind of working at a law firm wouldn't be the right fit for me. So I decided to start my own law firm when I graduated, and um, which is a really unusual path, uh, but it's been great. And you know, 26 and a half years, and I'm still later, and I'm still here. So it worked <laughs> out. Um, and um, yeah, so I mean, that's a bit about me and what I do. I mean, over the last, um, you know, couple and a half decades, I've worked with uh, more than 10,000 entrepreneurs and have been helping them to understand like, what's possible with regard to protection um, and then help them go on to, to get protected and to get patents and get trademarks. And in the, over the last few years, I've been working quite a lot with Amazon sellers. Uh, so that was something that kind of like a morphed into kind of your, your own niche, correct? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I started hanging out in digital marketing spaces and like I'm in uh, digital marketers war room mastermind. And um, I got there really to, because I've always loved business and I've, I've always loved marketing. And I, I, I went into war room to, to really focus on my um, focus on my marketing. I was about to launch my book and I wanted to do it right. And so I said, let me join this mastermind to give me the right kick in the butt to do everything as well as I can. Uh, but then when I got there, I realized that I was surrounded by people that needed help with, with trademarks and some with patents too. Um, and then someone from one of my groups, um, someone that was in war room with me, someone you probably know, Steve Simonson, right. um, he invited me to speak at his mastermind group, which was a, a group of Amazon sellers a few years back. And when I got there, I realized that that was an even better niche because, um, like you know, whereas at, at War Room and in digital marketing spaces, um, some people need patents and they all need trademarks. Um, uh, among e-commerce people, they mostly need, mostly all need patents and definitely need trademarks. So it, it's been, a, and then I, I was invited to speak at other events and I've been really just riding that wave of, of being well-known person within the field that knows about IP, that knows about patents and trademarks. And um, I've got lots and lots of friends in the field now, in, in that area now, in the Amazon seller space. So it's been it's been really cool. Absolutely, and and that's kind of the one one of the funny things I think we were mentioning is how the community is so helpful to each other in terms of like making sure people understand if one person's successful in one regards, they can refer to another individual. In this in this case, you you kind of met with somebody, and then they kind of uh, kind of introduce its way to this whole other network, which I, I find super fascinating, especially in a time where it's hard for us to get out and do that, all the handshaking right now. So there's other ways to obviously do the networking. Um, but before we go into that, maybe, so you got this inspiration in terms of patents that you really, you know, it, it spoke to you really. What is, for people who don't know, especially our audience in the international marketplace, what is the benefit to having a patent or a copyright 
um, what's maybe the differences? I know those are two separate questions, but can you walk us through the basics and then why it applies to Amazon sellers specifically? Yeah, well, that's three separate questions now. <laughs> <laughs> three separate questions. Yeah, I, I have a stream of conscious. I always throw okay, um Well, why? <laughs> There's lots of reasons why. Um, and I would say um, the most common reason that people have in mind why, though, um, is because someone told them to, right? Like someone said, hey, you should patent that. And um, without really recognizing what the real benefits are, that's the default. That's where most people go to is like, oh, yeah, people told me I should I should patent this. I was like, well, like, let's take a close look at this, that. And there's, there's a lot of different reasons. Like you know, the, the main um, value of a patent is the ability to exclude other people from making, using or selling the product that's covered by the patent. So, you know, that on, on like a high level, that's like, that's what it is. Now, how it benefits you will depend. I mean, it could benefit you by, um, by allowing you to, um, to differentiate, differentiate yourself from competitors products and therefore grab more market share or to prevent competition. Um, it could be valuable to you as the foot in the door that allows you to make a licensing agreement with someone else that wants to also make and sell that product. Um, and um, it could also be for credibility purposes, either personal or business credibility by the fact that you have the patented technology. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, there's truly like in the first chapter of my book, um, I list, I think, 18 different areas uh, to consider of why a patent may or may not be for you. It's a lot. So, yeah. <laughs> just Which, a, way, not just one or two, that, just 18. Get that chapter for free. Yeah, no, there's there's a lot of different reasons. And, uh, uh, and you know, some of them are better than others. Um, but it's important to know what your reason is. Um, another reason that's what I'd call undistinguished, meaning that people aren't really like thinking about it. Um, it's just kind of unquestioned is that um, people will often a reason why people go for a patent is because they, they're afraid someone's going to steal the idea. And when I say that, I'm not talking about afraid of some consequences of stealing the idea. Like, you know, like it's going to hurt their business in some way, or it's going to cost sales or whatever. I'm talking about the actual fear. Like they don't want to feel bad about it. That if someone stole their idea, like they'll have that gut wrenching feeling like, oh man, I did it again. I messed up. And just to avoid that bad feeling, people go and patent something. And what I like to do is to bring awareness to that. It's like, say, you know what? Like if that's really the reason you're doing it, okay, cool. But maybe take a look at whether it's really going to hurt your business if someone stole your idea. It's not necessarily true, um, you know? But I think very often people just recognize like, oh man, I'd feel terrible and that's why I'm doing it. Like, okay, if you want to spend fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 to avoid feeling terrible, you know, I'm feeling good and definitely, um, you know, definitely is a worthwhile endeavor. But like, once you look at it more carefully, you might choose something different. So the situation you're, you're more than likely saying the patent is if it's a proprietary either idea or product in this case, patent product, is that the easiest way that you typically tell people is the P and the P? Is that the right way to kind of memorize it. <laughs> um, oh, 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 you mean, okay, now talking about in terms of the difference between yeah. the two, what it's for? Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, P and P, like if you, um, exactly, if you're talking about a, the idea for a product, then you're typically talking about a patent. 
Like if okay. you're talking about the structure for a product or the shape of it, um, you know, that would be what a, uh, a patent is for. In the, in the former case, um, a utility patent is for structural differences and a design patent is for um, like just the, the ornamental appearance of a product. But yes, yeah, so that's what patents are for. Trademarks, on the other hand, are for branding. So the name, the logo, the slogan that you use to sell a product, those could all be trademarks. Gotcha. So what what is the, is there one benefit that outweighs the other in that's more beneficial for an Amazon seller in this case? Uh, case in point being, are patents going to save you money in the long term? You said it's pretty expensive, but is that going to save them from being taken over or having a competitor swoop in, buy it for less and sell the same product on Amazon? Yeah, I mean, I'd say when it comes to Amazon, that probably the biggest reason is to um, is to prevent competitors from coming in and just kind of making the same product, bidding more than you for pay on pay per click, and kind of taking your market. Um, so, I mean, on Amazon, you can if someone's infringing a patent, you could do an IP complaint and get them shut down. Um, how, how often is that case? Um, brought up with you or your clients is that is that pretty typical or is that something that's someone really else? get involved with that i mean like i've been more and more i've been kind of directing them to other people that focus more on those type of logistical issues within amazon um but what i what i can say is that for many people it's been extremely successful to be able to shut down all of the competitive listings when they're infringing their patent interesting um, I'll also say that like there's something unique about Amazon and patents in that design patents are very valuable and almost a no brainer. Now, see, I, I, I talked a little bit about the design and utility patents a moment ago, but in like throughout my career, conventional wisdom is that utility patents are more valuable because they cover the concept. Um, they cover the structure. They cover kind of what makes the thing tick. Where a design patent is just about the way it looks on on the outside, and so someone changes the appearance, they're going to get around the design patent, so it's not worth so much. And that's been the conventional wisdom. But when it comes to Amazon, you know, there's two things to consider. Number one is um, when you um, w when a competitor copies you, um, they they tend not to be very imaginative. Right. They just, you know, it's a lazy form of stealing something. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're not like, OK, that's a cool idea. Like, let me let, let's use that as inspiration to come up with our own similar product. They're like, no, they just knock it off. They just make it um, just like yours. And then it's going to look the same. And so it's going to infringe the design patent. The other thing is on Amazon, when you do an IP complaint, um, you know, think about who reviews these IP complaints. It's like the same type people that review your, you know, your customer service issues or that, that, you know, that, that deal with the, you know, any of your um, problems in running your seller account. Right. I mean, it's someone, you know, making me, you know, $10 an hour or like in a third world country perhaps. So like basically what happens. So imagine um, you do an IP complaint, You've got your patent, which shows the product, shows what it looks like. And then they've got the competitive product. And they look at the two and they say, it looks similar. And they shut them down. So it, it's not really hard to get your competitor shut down when you have a design patent. And design patents cost a lot less than utility patents. So they become a no-brainer for Amazon sellers. I was going to say, so what is, 
when you are looking between the cost comparison between the two, what does it typically run to get those two different types of patents that you, you were kind of touching on utility and then the design patent? Yeah. Design patents is a few thousand dollars and, um, utility patents definitely going to be north of 10,000. Okay. So utility patent costs a lot more. Um, so to me, if you have a product that has a distinctive look to it, then doing, uh, and you're selling it on Amazon, then doing a, uh, a design patent is a no brainer. Gotcha. So when you're, when you do those kinds of patents, what is the, what's the timeline for individuals to start the process, whether it's working with you or themselves, I'm assuming in this case, you would have to work with a licensed professional in order to file the proper paperwork and then, uh, upon completion, get the paperwork and have it themselves. What's that timeline look like for, for people? Yeah, it typically takes a few months to get everything together and filed. Might take a year to actually get the patent granted to you. Uh, but the important thing is to get it filed because um, once you make it public, you lose the rights to it. Um, in most of the world, you lose the rights immediately. Um, and in the US, if like, you know, worst case, um, a year goes by, then you've absolutely lost a right to ever apply for a patent. So really okay. the time to do it, the time to apply is before you make it public, is before you, you even list it. So it's right from the get go, even though it, you may not know how, how great in sales it could be, it could be just, just protection in general, almost like insurance, yeah. basically. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, exactly, like insurance. It's definitely a risk, right? You don't know how well a product's going to do. Um, but if you, know, if you have a good hunch about something, it doesn't take much to make it worthwhile. I mean, it's like if the product, um, if it turns out to be, let's say something that sells $100,000 worth a month, right? <laughs> then, um, and you spend, you would spend a, a few thousand dollars on, um, uh, on a design patent. So if you manage to even slow down the com competition by one day, you've paid for it. Now, not everything's going to be a hundred thousand dollar, um, seller, but you just got, you can put it into context like that. So, okay. If it's something that sells, you know, $20,000 worth per month, then, then still like just a few days of reduced competition pays for it. Absolutely. What about if, does the same rules apply if you're an international seller? Like if I'm in China, uh, as well as if I'm in the United States, is there different processes to go through in order to obtain a U.S. patent or a U.S. trademark? Well, patents are territorial. And um, sure. so if you really wanted protection in China against having things sold in China, then you'd need a Chinese patent. But in general, um, the U.S. patent is the one you want. You know, this is the biggest market. And, right. um, and this is where you'd want to shut people down if, uh, if they step on your IP toes. Absolutely. So in theory, you can actually take some successful product if they don't have a patent in a different... I'm not telling people they should do this, but in theory, they could just take that same concept if it's not uh, protected in a marketplace mm, like Australia. Yeah, no, I'll, uh, I'll cut you off there. You can't, yeah, go ahead. You have to have invented it in order to apply. You can't just see a product gotcha. that that um, that you think has potential and then file a patent application for it. You have to have actually designed it. And, how does and one How does one go about uh, you know verifying that they are the sole inventor? They came up with the concept and idea. 
well, you attest to it on the penalties of perjury and imprisonment. <laughs> and so, like, I mean, you don't have There's to. There's that. <laughs> you, don't, you, don't to, you don't have to prove it, but you, it's not something you want to do is, is commit perjury in order to get a, a patent. You know, yeah. how easy it would be for someone else to prove it. Sometimes, sometimes easier than other situations, but not something you want to do. Gotcha. Uh, we had a couple questions, and then obviously a uh, person who's a friend of the show and a friend of both of us, um, Rob Stanley of Akrumi. Are there items that Rich is talking about that's covered in his book? Obviously, <laughs> right? This would be in your yeah, download. Yeah, absolutely. Ebook. I mean, I guess that's an invitation to talk about my book. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Let's kick it into it. So what, what yeah, made so you decide to write a book? Okay, so basically, um, this came about around 2015. Um, I was contacted by the American Bar Association and asked to write a book to explain to entrepreneurs how patents work. Um, and it's interesting because I spent a lot of time going to events and conferences and other spaces previously. Like in 2013, I was in Europe six times going to different innovator events. And people might would often say to me, well, okay, you're a patent attorney. Like, so what's exactly the angle here? And like, you know, I don't quite know, but I, I, I created a lot of relationships. And when the American Bar Association contacted me, um, and, and granted, most people pitch them to do a book. They don't usually call people. So they called me and asked me to write this book. And I said, well, why did you think of me? Why did you pick me? And they said, well, we see that you're out there at all these events, you know, and that's what we want in, in an author is we want someone who's out there in the world going to events, meeting people. So cool. I didn't quite know what that monetization path would be, um, but that's kind of how that worked out is that they asked me to write the book. So I did. I wrote the ABA Consumer Guide to Obtaining a Patent. Um, and there it is. And um, it, um, it's really in plain English. I mean, it's, it's truly written the same way that I talk. It's like, this is what it is. This is what you need to know, uh, A, B, C, and D. So, Sounds pretty um, simple. <laughs> you could ordinarily get it on Amazon, um, except for the fact that it's sold out on Amazon now because of Clubhouse. So for what that's worth, it's currently sold out. Um, you can get it on Kindle. If you like to read things on Kindle, then you can get it on Kindle on Amazon because Kindle is inexhaustible. Um, but um, but yeah, and I could also you know send people a copy too. I could I, I have plenty on hand if anyone wants one. Happy to send you one. I mean that's definitely something I I want to consume through. So if and maybe if someone actually asks our questions uh, or if wants to watch it, if they're watching this live or they want to get a, a copy of this book, go ahead and tag myself or put in hashtag uh, Rich Goldstein book, and we'll make sure that we get you the contact information, find out how we can get you a copy of the book. So if that's an invitation, Rich, that we can yeah. get people, their inf your information in their hands, we can figure out how to get that to them as well. Um, other question that you said, because you're sold out on Amazon because of Clubhouse, that was the other question that kind of came through, again, from Rob Stanley. How is right. Rich using Clubhouse to drive clients to his business? Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, for those of you that are on Clubhouse, I mean, I think you know what I mean. It's it, it's the most fascinating platform. I hear this over and over again by people that are rather sophisticated business people. That like, they they'll all say the same thing. I've never seen anything like this platform. There's so much engagement. People are spending you know, twelve hours or more a day on it. It's audio chat. Um, it's audio chat rooms where you could eat, listen in or you could be up on stage 
talking or you could raise your hand to get invited to, to go up on stage and um, so many fascinating, great conversations going on. Um, how I've been using it, well, one of the things is I've been, I've been offering my book for free and I've gotten a ton of free book inquiries. I've gotten just in the last few weeks, gotten several clients from Clubhouse and, um, um, and lots of engagement all around. Like I do the office hours, which is like a live Q and a program. I do it every Friday at 12 Eastern 9 AM Pacific. I've gotten increased traffic there from Clubhouse. So, um, you know, so it's, it's kind of really kind of helped every channel, every other channel that I have going. Uh, and so it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, and, uh, I'd like to get more intentional about it, like create more of those pathways. I'm actually building a landing page that's for just a simple address that I could give out simple web address I could give out to allow people to, um, either sign up for office hours to kind of get reminders about the webinar, to get a free book, to get in touch with my team about possibly working together. So like, you know, in terms of the question of how am I using Clubhouse to drive clients, a little bit awkwardly now, but it's still working like crazy well. And I'm looking to make it more efficient. Well, I think that's the thing is with any sort of kind of social media, I would call this social media by, by every stretch of imagination that it wasn't, I think the Amazon community has really just taken this and, and really made it its own. Everyone who's anyone, if you're a seller, if you're an e-commerce expert, if you're a lawyer, if you're um, anyone who's you know, been successful on Amazon are on these platforms one way or another. Um, and it's fascinating to share the concept and ideas and everyone's in love with it. I think that it had this place because of the COVID era of we can't get together and discuss these opportunities, but it's also reaching a wider audience as well. Not just Amazon sellers, but just uh, business people in general. Uh, what, what's kind of like your favorite going off of this topic way to educate people that wasn't in the Amazon space on clubhouse. I think that would be something everyone would be curious to learn about. My favorite way to educate people though. Or, or, or like what room I guess in clubhouse, because I'm still new to the whole okay. platform as well. What, what was one of your most engaging, you know, rooms, if you will, that wasn't just centered around Amazon. It was maybe people took a lot away from that, that content. And that's, you know, how you can grow outside, not just the Amazon ecosystem, but a little bit farther outside your typical reach. If that makes sense. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it all started with this running a million dollar business room, which went for about 14 days started, um, I think, uh, Christmas Eve or the, or the 23rd of December, and it ran into January and it went 24 hours a day. And, there, and I was among the moderators that kind of, um, was there a good portion of the day every day. And like people switched off, of course, and also Paul Barron, Paul Barron was there a lot. And a lot of the people that, that, um, that do some of the bigger rooms now, it's kind of like that was a boot camp. We all kind of hung out in that space and it was just like lots of different people, lots of very successful entrepreneurs with um, um, different expertise on stage as moderators. And then there were um, just a steady stream of people that would raise their hand, come up on stage, ask a question, and then someone would answer or a few different people would answer. And um, that was probably among the most engaging kind of longest running um, rooms that there were. And, and since then, there've been a lot like that. There are a lot of different rooms on different topics. 
some related to running a, a business or related to uh, maximizing social media or what have you. And you'll get a panel of maybe 30 people or so that have different expertise that can answer questions. So that's been really great. And I've also run my own rooms. I've run rooms regarding protecting your ideas. Um, the last couple of Thursdays in a row, I did this at 12 Pacific time, three Eastern. I think I'm going to do it again this Thursday. Um, and I've just had a st steady stream of people coming up on stage. Um, and it's, uh, it's been pretty amazing, but circling back to the other thing, I mean, this is just how, how wild it is. Like, so, you know, okay. So there's, there's a bunch of us, like say like 30 of us up there kind of, um, answering questions to the audience. Maybe there's a thousand people in the room. So lots of people listening. And then Damon John shows up and like, Oh, Damon's on stage. Hey, like, you know, we talked to him for a while and then Grant Cardone shows up. And Grant Cardone's been on the platform a lot. Like, and he's up there and he's talking and we're all asking him questions, blah, blah, blah. And Ty Lopez, you know, Ty Lopez, um, someone who, you know, he, he gets mixed reviews from people. Um, you know, some people think he's brilliant and some people kind of like see the, his brand from maybe 10 years ago and like, oh, that guy. But if you listen to him speak, he's really smart. And for a lot of the people there, it's like, we never saw him that way. Like, we're, we're like, well, this guy really knows what he's talking about. And, and so it's been very interesting. And like, even like, um, you know, room that I've been in a bunch, like, you know, Paris Hilton shows up, you know, Paris Hilton's following me now. Like, okay, that's all right. But it's, isn't, isn't that fun to have like these, what, what I was going to say, like, what's the kind of the most bizarre person that like you never thought would be following you on this platform? Cause it's pretty easy. Some people have a, the north of tens of thousands of followers already for a platform that's been out less than a year. What, what's the most shocking follower? I would say. Well, I, I'd say that it's got to be Paris Hilton, right? Paris Hilton. <laughs> but, hey, she's but trying I, to I, pick I, up I, patents and laws and things like that. <laughs> yeah, but I've got tons, tons, um, tons of like really high-end business gurus that that didn't know me from Adam before and are following me now too. Um, and it's just very interesting because most of the, most of the people that, that are pretty involved in clubhouse that, that, um, that moderate these stages are following me too. And that's, it's, it's like the, 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 the level of relationship that's been created in a short amount of time is kind of, it's kind of crazy. Like I'll, I'll walk into these rooms and I'll be immediately invited up to be in the, in the speaking group. Um, and I didn't know these people a month ago. But they all kind of know me and they'll be like, oh, well, yeah, we, we just had a patent question, Rich, you know, like, OK, cool. <laughs> and you're invited to the front of the class all of a it's sudden. Like, yeah, no, absolutely. So and this is yielded in, you said, clients, business. This is mm -hmm. all this social media. It's wh where do you think is the next step for just an audio, you know, platform only platform? Because there's no there's no other way to kind of stand out to people besides just this you know, um, besides this one app, what, what's, where does this enter innovate from there? Do you think? Yeah, I don't know. It's like, there was, that was a conversation earlier today in one of the rooms, um, was like, some people say like, well, will club space, uh, club space. I just, I just, <laughs> no, it's all good. become the MySpace of social media. Like everybody thought it was awesome, but then someone iterated one better. Right. Um, and we were, talking about that and like, well, what would make it better? What would be the thing that, um, that, that kind of makes it obsolete and I can't isolate it. I mean, I think th there's something really amazing about it. I mean, part of it is like, right. We're, 
through the pandemic, we're so used to doing Zoom meetings. Um, but one of the most amazing things about this audio only thing is like, you can just go about your business. You know, you can go about your day. I mean, like, you know, like I'm sitting there sometimes and, and uh, I'm, I'm doing work. I'm looking down. Like you wouldn't do that usually on a Zoom call. Maybe that's the least impolite thing you can do. Like, but you still <laughs> you have your camera off and you're still working. You try to keep looking. I mean, sometimes, you know, like I pick up my guitar and I'm just like, I'm playing guitar, you know, like, like, and um, the, my microphone's muted, of course. And I could still hear what's going on, but I'm just, I'm doing something else. And like, you'd never do that on a Zoom call, right? Um, at, least, at least that would not be respect. Yeah, respectful. Right. I mean, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's like you could walk around, you walk around your house, you could walk downstairs, like make myself a snack, you know, like it's like and people are very often like in the gym or whatever. And they'll, and someone will kind of call on them. They're like, oh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm a little out of breath. Like I'm actually on the treadmill right now, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I wanted to answer your question. So there's something about the audio only that seems to work quite well. Interesting. And, and it's not just, a, obviously, we don't think it's a fad. We think it's how business will continue to innovate and hopefully grow. Um, it, it's fascinating that it, it people feel like they're missing out. And I think that's part of the allure of it is it's an invite only right now. You have to know a person to have like three invitations or however many they give out. Do you think that there's there's a strategic mindset to that? Or do you think that it's just a platform to hold that kind of capability with? If you think about it on a technical side, you have every possibility of user that can audio stream and that's data and that's a load on any sort of system at any one time. Do you think it's just by design or it's by accident that they did this? The, um, which part? That my, is, that I is, guess my question is like, a, yeah, limited to users. Yeah, no, no, hundred percent. And and by the way, they, they do town hall every Sunday at, um, at noon, um, Eastern, like the founders get on and they just answer lots and lots of questions. Like, um, and they're very transparent about what they're up to. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's considered to be in beta, right? It's in beta, but it's got a, a billion dollar valuation now with the latest fund rate, the rate, the, the latest raise that they just did. Um, so yeah, like the, it's kind of like they want to get this stuff straight before they just open it up. And so, um, it's been growing rather quickly. There's more than a million people on the platform now. But still, they, they are limiting it because they're dealing with those issues. And they still only have eight employees with all this interest. And they, they still are, are relatively small. And um, yeah, they, I think they just they want to get it right before they open it up. The question is, did they come to you in terms of patents and trademarks for their kind of services? Nope, they did not. They did not. I, I don't know what they've done um, about that if anything um i actually just took a look i couldn't find the trademark for clubhouse although it's a rather it would be a rather difficult trademark to get at I'm this sure. point there are there are a whole bunch of other clubhouses um or clubhouse items um but no no they did not come to me so what would be i i guess like departing from the uh clubhouse topic i mean we can always go back into it when people are and I'll always end up back on Clubhouse. So you're right. I know. Well, which is not which is not a bad point. Well, maybe we can circle back. <laughs> when people are asking these kinds of questions in terms of is there ever a stupid question in terms of what can be copyrighted or patented or trademarked? Because they're all individual items. But when they come to you and are like, hey, I want to do this, do you kind of just think to yourself sometimes like, 
they're simply doing this not to protect themselves, but because, like you said earlier, someone told them to do that. What? Why? Right. Well, here's the thing. Like, I don't consider any of them to be stupid questions because there's just a whole lot of misconceptions. And even among rather sophisticated business people, they just don't understand how this stuff works. And and so there are crazy misconceptions. You know, like I'll get someone who's running a hundred million dollar company and they'll say something like, um, yeah, yeah, we 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 um, we got a patent and we did it to make sure that we're not infringing on any other patents. And that's just not how it works. You having a patent doesn't mean you're not infringing on any other patents. And you might not know that, Ryan, and that's okay that you don't know that. But someone who runs a million, hundred million dollar company should know that. They should know that that you know you can have a patent and still be infringing someone else's patent. Um, it's just because this stuff is weird and complicated, right? And so it's like you know, there's no you know, dumb questions. And people say all the time, say things like you should copyright that invention, which isn't true. You don't copyright an invention. Copyright is for content, right? Copyright is for um, works of visual art, um, which can be like web page graphics or, um, or music um, or a sculpture, right? It's for content. Um, but people don't quite understand that. And that's okay. And that's why I, I'm really passionate about educating people on this, and uh, you know I'm happy to take whatever time and use whatever platform I have available to help people understand it better, so that they can make good decisions about about IP. Which is why Clubhouse is such a great uh, tool to do that to educate the masses as as easily as you can. <laughs> I brought it oh, back yeah. to Clubhouse first. Look at me. Um, what is it? Just you and your firm, or what? What kind of team do you have under underneath you, or with working with you? Yeah, I have a bunch of other attorneys, and I have um, and some admin people and some marketing people. So I've got an awesome team with an awesome culture, and um, we're growing now too. I'm looking to hire some more people, and uh, but yeah, it's been it's been pretty great. Pretty do, awesome. do you consider your audience or your customers be uh, U.S. based, or would are you looking for like international? What what's kind of like the growth aspect for what a lot of your clients are coming from? Well, I mean, um, I'd say 90% of my clients are domestic. I do have some international, um, especially I've got a whole bunch in Australia because I mean, a lot of Australian sellers, they sell in the U S right. So, so Australia and UK, I do tend to have a good amount of, of, uh, of clients in, um, but in terms of growth, I mean, it's, I don't need to grow internationally. It's like, I probably capture like point you know, 0.1 or 0.01% of the, of the, um, of the market in the United States. Right. So there's no, it's not like I need to expand internationally to expand. I just, if, if um, expanding just means capturing a bit more of the market and it's like, everybody is capturing such a small part of the market that it's not like I even consider any of the people in this space to be competitors. It's like, yeah, I mean, we all could win. We all could could have successful businesses. Everyone can eat. Yeah, everyone can have yeah. cake and eat it too. Yeah. So it's there, there. There's just too much opportunity out there. What's a story that maybe you can share with us in terms of a huge success? It was like a life changing success for a seller because you were able to either protect them or help them remedy some sort of problem that they ran into um, with their business. Huh. You know, I don't know that I have one. Um, okay. 
Yeah, I mean, um, maybe maybe I'm I'm just not seeing it like like it, sure. it was life changing, you know, for them. But for me, it it just feels more routine, like where it's just like, yep, well, we got them the patent, and yep, they you did your job on their competition, you know, and um, yeah, I mean, I, I I can't isolate anything and say like, well, this was just over the top. Was there a mo most gratifying situation where you got to help somebody truly in need? Or does that feel like more of a poignant question or an answerable question? Yeah, I mean, but there, there have been a lot of those. I mean, uh, it is gratifying to help someone in need. And, and I'd say most of the time, it's been not that I had to do so much, except that they were laboring under a misconception. Like they just misunderstood their, like where they, where they, um, where they stood in the situation. Like they thought like, Oh, I can't, I, I guess I can't make this product. It was like, because blah, blah, blah. I was like, no, you absolutely can. Like, don't, you know, don't, you don't have to stop here. And, and just the, they were able to go ahead and launch a product that they thought that they were prevented from doing so. So, yeah, I mean like those types of things all the time. When you are a seller, because the topic that always come up, I'm going to pivot a little bit. The topic that's really hot, especially on my show, are roll-up roll up companies. Um, when you're selling your company to a Thrasia or to an Elevate Brands or to a Heyday or whomever is purchasing your company, what is that process like when they are purchasing your products or, or brand and you have a patent or a trademark on it? Yeah, well, I mean... I don't know specifically about the process. I don't get involved in the in transactional uh, okay. situations like that. But I can tell you that having um, having a patent makes a huge difference. H having IP makes a huge difference in 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 not only having that transaction go smoothly, but in the valuation that you get. Because it's like if um, if you're selling a product um, and Maybe you're not particularly differentiated, um, but you're doing pretty well. So, of course, you know when, when they're they're evaluating um, what it would be worth to purchase your company, they're thinking in terms of like, okay, well, if the bandwagon continued for the next few years, um, then we would make so much money, and therefore they're paying you based upon the idea of the party continuing for at least a few years more, and that's why you're getting a multiple. Um, on on what you're making but um if you have ip it makes it that much more secure right and it also means that your position in the marketplace is that much more secure where other people can't just step in um, and when it comes to a brand it's it, you know branding and trademarks it's very important for you to own the rights to your brand um and um so it it makes a huge difference i mean it, it, you know one thing I say is that whatever you spend on patents, whatever you spend on IP, you are a hundred percent going to get an ROI if you exit. It might not always seem clear, like if you don't exit, like so. If you're running the company and you've spent tens of thousands of dollars on IP, um, and <coughs> excuse me, and you know, like you might notice that like the competition is less, or that you've managed to shut down some competition, it may or may not seem like a total win. Um, but if you do go to exit, there is really strange math that goes on in terms of, of you get paid for the IP you have and then some. If you have a half a dozen patents and trademarks, you'll get 
you know, easily 10 times what you spent on that because you know, the buyer will say, oh, they have a portfolio of IP and it's worth something and it's worth way more than you spent on it. So um, if you do exit, then the IP or what you spend on, on IP becomes a no brainer. That's a great, that's a great tidbits of knowledge because we actually have, you know, people like Thrasia that are coming on our show and they're, they're trying to educate people in terms of like how, how we're evaluating people and even elevate brands itself. I know we recently had on the CEOs and with companies and those being hot companies that are purchasing brands and sellers who are looking to exit, there's just really that capacity. Like what are the different multiples that we can be more valuable to either be successfully successful when we, um, you know, when we exit or if, you know, there is an opportunity where I want to eventually get there, what I should, what should I look like in terms of maximizing my potential? So that those are great tips. I've never heard anyone really speak on that because of future protections. I'm assuming you would transfer those protections under one brand to another or whomever's purchasing that from you. I'm assuming it would stay protected that whole entire time. Correct. Yeah. Well, presumably they would be purchasing the IP along with everything else that goes with your company, but it makes it a bit more solid you know, having the IP makes it more solid of what they're buying other than just buying your selling seller account, which, um, you know, things are going great today, but there isn't a, there isn't as much of a guarantee that it's going to continue as it is now, but having the IP just makes it that much more stable. Yeah. More secure, more stable. Those uh, all, all I agree, would agree with you. Um, before we hop off at the top or before the top of the hour, a lot of people are going into 2021 with options to diversify. They're looking for ways to protect themselves. But my first question for you would be, um, what's the best time saving tips that you can provide for people, whether it's applying for a patent or a trademark, or it's just time saving techniques in general that you can maybe share with our audience. Okay. Um, time saving tips. Um, and well, I mean, first of all, with regard to, um, let's talk about the IP side first. So as far as, um, patents, not all patents are created equal. There are patents that cover an overall concept. And then there are some patents that are very weak that are just about the details. So you should make an assessment at an early stage of how different your idea really is, which will lead to whether you can get a patent on a whole concept because the whole concept is new uh, and, and whether that's worthwhile. So it doesn't always pay to do a patent, but you should look at that at an early stage, but always do your trademarks. It always pays to protect your brands. Um, protecting a trademark costs a few thousand dollars and it's always worth it to do a trademark. Um, and um, the other thing with applying for a trademark too is that if someone else, it doesn't work the same way as patents where you lose the rights by putting it out there. As a matter of fact, you need to be selling it in order to complete the process of trademarking to actually get it registered. But if someone else files before you, it's become a way more complicated problem. And so it pays to do a trademark early. So in terms of the timing of it, um, so there's that. And I think that's probably helpful. Now, in terms of... Um, you know, time saving in general, I'm just thinking uh, of a category of, you mean like t saving time with uh, productivity or um, kind of what? Yeah, what's the or maybe, it? yeah, the spirit, I guess, of the question would be, you know, people have so much time in the day and that's a commodity that we are, obviously, you can't always get back in terms of 
whether it's time spent going through an education process, whether they can come to you instead to educate themselves quicker on patents and trademarks, or they can file it quicker instead of having to go through the, the mud through it all. And then at the end of the day, there's some quicker way to get to that, the end point. If, I guess if that, that's my question in that spirit of, yeah, is there a well, way? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, definitely working with me or someone like me would be um, the most efficient way through the process. Right. Because if you have, um, um, you know, I mean, first of all, um, it's not really possible to do a patent on your own. I'd say it's basically impossible to get anything meaningful with regard to a trademark. I'd say about one out of three people that apply on their own, they can get, they get it through. Um, the question is, is it worth it for the other two out of three possibility? But, you know, very often what happens though, is you, is if you try it on your own or use like a legal zoom or something like that, you might end up losing a lot of time in that, um, it takes about 10 months to a year to go through the trademark process, but you might get eight, 10 months down into it only to realize you've got to start over again. So it definitely does pay to start the right way. Um, and when it comes to patenting, the other important thing there is like, you know, like I said, you do need to get professional help to do it correctly. But if someone was working with you, like if I was working with you and I didn't understand your goals, I didn't understand what you were really trying to accomplish. It's quite possible that we can get far down the road only to realize that we're headed for the wrong patent. So I make it extremely important to get to know not just the product you're looking to patent, but also kind of like what is the, um, um, you know, like what's the business goal that we're trying to serve? Like, what is it that we're trying to accomplish? Because that, you know, that's going to make a tremendous difference in how we steer the process. That makes sense. And that, and I think like going with a trusted professional like yourself, like you said, it's easy. There's all these technologies out there of like, Hey, we can do it ourselves with legal zoom or you contact someone on the phone. It's um, <laughs> really it is. I mean, just, just calling what it is like, like it sounds self-serving like, Oh yeah, well of course you're going to tell people they've got to use you or, or patent attorney, but it's just, there's so much BS out there. I mean, people just waste their money left and right by doing the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong way. And, you know, more money is wasted on this than is, than is even spent on something that's productive. So that, that, that completely answers my question. Uh, before we, we recap and I have Rich Goldstein uh, from Goldstein Patent Law. What is the thing that gets you excited to wake up in the morning and, you know, get working with people? What What's the one thing that you still find it after all these years of like 26 years, I think you said of doing this, what's something that still gets you excited, puts a smile on your face to, to kind of either hop on a clubhouse chat room or to talk to a potential new customer? It's just people's excitement. It's like their excitement um, is exciting to me. I mean, the fact that, that, you know, like they're, they're seeing like a, a, a big possibility in something that we're looking at together. Um, you know, that, that's what keeps me going. And, and, you know, kind of dovetailed into that is I love empowering people. I love, you know, when people are excited, but maybe don't feel so capable, like having people feel like that, that this is something that they can do. You know, that this is something that's within their reach, even though they might not have ever done it before. So I, 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 I enjoy the excitement that people have. 
and I enjoy just empowering people to step into a bigger version of what they could accomplish. Amazing. Great stuff, man. I, I appreciate you coming and sharing those tidbits of knowledge. Uh, for, for those who are trying to find out more information, they just want to empower themselves, like you said, through uh, your services, through just your general knowledge of the landscape, uh, or just kind of want to pick your brain. What's are the, what are the best ways to connect with you and your team? Yeah, I mean, best best thing is go to my website, goldsteinpatentlaw.com. I mean, there are videos there that explain the process. Um, there's also ways that you could connect with my team there um, to, um, um, you know, to set up time to talk with someone on my team and see if it's a match for us to work together. Um, and then I, I do this office hours every week, you know, every... Um, I was going to say, this, that the office hours thing I love. I, I also said something of... People need to do office hours where there's just like almost like college where if you have an idea, you know exactly when to go to those people for like just open forums of to ask your questions. That's amazing that you get to do that on Clubhouse. Yeah. Well, no, this this is actually not on Clubhouse. This is on oh. um, a Zoom webinar. It's something oh, okay. that like, you know, you can sign up for and you get notified about. It's actually a little better than Clubhouse because you I mean, if you ask a question, we'll we'll, we'll get to your question. I mean, like. Um, th there are a lot of people that show up to office hours, but they're not all asking questions. So if you, if you do, we'll get to you. I don't think, I don't think there's been a time when we didn't get to someone's question. So, um, so that, and that's, I do that every Friday at 12 Eastern, 9 AM Pacific, but you want to sign up for that ahead of time. Um, and then you get the notifications about it. And to do that, you could just go to goldsteinpatentlaw.com slash OH. So my website slash OH, you could sign up for that. I love that. And we'll make sure those get in the comment section of okay. all these platforms as well. And then on the podcast too, we'll have the links to get there uh, as well. Podcast. Forgot about the podcast. Can oh I yeah. And you, and you have your own podcast. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, which has been a lot of fun. I do this, a podcast called Innovations and Breakthroughs. And um, I feature top leaders and the path they took to create change. And so it's a lot of people who have had an idea and then they were successful with it. And we talk about that path towards being successful. And I've also had a lot of people from this space on it, people who have sold a billion dollars worth of products. Uh, you know, I have people like um, Kevin King and Steve Simonson and uh, Tim Jordan and, um, you know, um, Paul Barron. Uh, I've had lots of, of sellers, people that have launched their own products, talk of that tale too. So that's called Innovations and Breakthroughs, and you can find it anywhere that podcasts are streamed on iTunes, <laughs> Spotify, whatever. All the, all the fun locations. Yeah, I know that Amazon's actually doing their podcast versions now, so you should check out and make sure that you're listed on there too. Yep, absolutely. I'm pretty sure it is, but, uh, but yeah, lots of, lots of great opportunities. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Rich. I appreciate your time today. Friend of the show now, I appreciate it. Anytime that we have questions, we'll make sure we refer to you um, for those kinds of questions. If you're watching or listening to this uh, later, everyone, uh, again, Rich, thank you so much for your time. I'm going to pull you away real quick, um, but hold on right there. Um, if you're listening to the show again at a different time, you just need to catch it up. Uh, you didn't catch us live. Go ahead and tag Rich or myself in it, and we'll make sure that you get your questions answered. Again, thank you so much for joining us today on Crossover Commerce. Um, we're going live. We go live on all of our social media channels on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Uh, but this also exists on our YouTube page. If you missed an episode, you had different topics that you just missed, go ahead and look at our playlist on YouTube 
and search for Crossover Commerce on there. And also, again, wherever you download or listen to your podcast, we also exist as well. Just search Crossover Commerce by Ping Pong Payments. Again, for Rich Goldstein of Goldstein Patent Law, I'm Ryan Kramer. Thank you so much for joining us today on episode 44 of Crossover Commerce. Tomorrow, we're going to be talking about the EU, more about what the marketplace uh, landscape is looking like with Brexit, with COVID, everything that's hit that landscape over there. We're going to dive into what Amazon sellers should know, as well as if you're thinking about growing into Europe, we're going to talk about it and touch on it with e-commerce experts from over there. Andy Hooper is our guest. So for Rich Goldstein, I'm Ryan Kramer, the host of this show, Crossover Commerce. Thank you for joining us again live. See you next time, everyone.